0: Thank you for your kind words of welcome. It's a joy and privilege to be here. Uh, To say I've come in fear and trembling would be an understatement. Uh, I'm terrified, but uh, equally it's an immense privilege not just to speak here in the seminary in London where you're doing so much good work for the gospel, but particularly to speak for Jesus Christ the King There's no higher privilege and so this afternoon I'm humbled by that. I just want to briefly look at Isaiah chapter 6. I'll just uh, read some words here uh, to bring us to this wonderful and glorious subject Verse 1 In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood this seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I too, by grace, have seen the King, just little glimpse, and I repent I'm a man of unclean lips. Let's just pray. Lord, to see you and to worship you and to know you is the most humbling experience for humankind. And so, O God, we come as sinful people before the King. Show us and teach us and speak to us in your goodness. We thank you for your cleansing from all our sin through the priestly work of our great Priest King Melchizedek, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to speak on the kingly office of Christ, or the kingship of Christ. I haven't used PowerPoint before. I normally use notes. I'm rigid with my notes. I stick to them. Uh, So today I'm uh, just winging it a little bit and praying for lots of grace and strength and help to do that. With a lot of material to cover, uh, I'm praying that it's so warm that either the battery will fail in the clock or Robert will fall asleep and uh, not realise. Uh, when I went to my first post uh, as a preacher, my boss said to me, you know, you remind me of uh the, James Phillip and oh my proud ears pricked up, and he said you ne- you need a very long runway to take off <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so instead of being an Airbus this afternoon, I hope to be a harrier jump jet i'll try I want to get to the end uh because there's wonderful things here, at least for my heart and i seek by God's grace to share with you that you might be shown things and satisfied and shepherded by the Lamb who leads his people to streams of living water. Peter said, feed my sheep. That's my plan today with the kingly office of Christ. Uh, When the Pope came to Maynooth. Uh, seminary, I think it was about 1990 something in Dublin uh, there was this picture from the BBC I think it was and all the seminar, uh, seminarians were standing as the Pope strode up the aisle in his white robes and they were clapping <claps> he's got the whole world in his hands he's got the whole world in his hands and so we can see why Rutherford <laughs> knowing that he thought he was acting for Christ, the king said this, The magistrate, as a magistrate, is not the vicar nor deputy, I think that is, of Jesus Christ as mediator, which is for him the heart and soul of Popery in the divine right of church government. Here's my... Outline here, this is where we're going. I'll make some brief comments now on things I'm not going to speak about. Then we'll look at the classical position on the kingship of Christ. We'll uh, go into the lay by of the uh, mediator. What does that mean? What do we need to think about there? I'll raise just briefly some queries concerning the classical position. Who am I? But there you go. Uh, Then we'll move to kingship of Christ, the modified position, which I'll seek to share with you and hope you'll share with me. And then we'll close with thinking about the duration of the kingship of Christ. When did it start? When did it end? Where is it going? With some timely applications, which I hope link in to what I said previously and aren't just bolt-ons. And then we'll conclude. Uh, I was told when I came to Reformed Theological College that there was an old minister and pastor, Professor Peter McFarland, and it was said that when he lectured, usually those in his lectures finished the lecture on their knees. Literally. Humbled, worshipping, praising Christ. Knees of hearts will do, man. But how can we consider this glorious subject and topic without bowing down and worshipping our Redeemer? Is there any greater subject than one Christ, two, one person, two nature's three offices, our Redeemer to God the Father's glory? My answer is, well, probably not. So, let's look then at the classical position. The two kingdoms of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Andrew Melville, some 400 years ago or more, seized the king of the nation, of the two nations, by the sleeve, we're told. And he said, Sir... You're God's silly vassal. There are two kings and two kingdoms in Scotland. There is King James, the head of the Commonwealth. It wasn't Cromwell's exclusively. And there is Christ Jesus, the king of the church, whose subject James the sixth is, and whose kingdom he is n- not a king, nor a lord, nor a head, but a member of whose kingdom he is not these things. Now, I'm not saying that come half five you rush up, scale the gates of Buckingham Palace and grab her majesty by the sleeve. He probably doesn't have sleeves this afternoon or say this. But but it's an interesting comment, this presentation of the idea of two kingdoms. This was a (laughs) favourite subject An exegetical key, says William Wright, to understanding Luther's whole position and way of reading scripture to kingdoms. And Luther says, I've written this so often. I'm surprised that there's anyone who does not know it or remember it. You mean you didn't know it? He'd written it so often. So... uh, Just what we're not going to talk about, we're not going to talk about the Roman position for which there's not a shred or ounce of textual evidence at all. Or at least properly read. We're not going to drool over or deal with or have a a dart at van Drunen if you have questions about van Drunen. Gary's a man, I think. Uh, we're not going to get all worked up in Zionist, frothy, dispensational enthusiasm. We've got a heavenly David. Uh, and we're not going to stop at Luther. Though we could learn lots about Luther in terms of Christian vocation. Read Luther and Christian vocation, and his use of scripture. What we are going to look is at this classical reformed position of the kingdoms of power and grace. Two kingdoms. This is basically from burkhoff He sets it out beautifully, and clearly, and simply. Uh, we see here, The kingdom of power. It's uh, exercised sovereignly, he tells us. Its nature is natural and essential. It's from the Godhead. That's its derivation. Its subject is Christ rules the kingdom as God. It originates in the decree of providence. It's grounded in the creation of the Logos. Christ created it, therefore it is. Its sphere is cosmic. Everything, no exemptions or exclusions. A very Kuyperian thought, this is mine. This kingdom of power. Its rule is subservient. To the kingdom of grace. So Christ is head over all things for the church. Ephesians 1.22 I see you nodding. I'm glad we're making things clear. By what authority does Christ the king as God rule the cosmos? By right. It's his right as God. And as creator. So that's a kingdom of power. Reasonably clear. And this is contrasted then. With the kingdom of grace. Which is exercised. Spiritually. It's a spiritual kingdom. We'd probably. Bring the kingdom pretty close to the church. He's head of the church. He's king of the church. Spiritually it's his spiritual kingdom. Which he. Whose nature is mediatorial. The Redeemer is head of the church. He exercises it not as God, but as Theanthropos, the God man. Please don't ask me to decline that noun. It originates. In the decree of election whereby Christ was elected mediator of his people, the elect, whom he would redeem and save. Its grounds are his purchase when he rose from the dead, when he ascended up on high, when he sat down at God's right hand. He was given this kingdom, this body, this church over which he is head. And its role is dominant. This is what really matters. The kingdom of power is vast and important, but not nearly so important as the church, which he purchased with his own blood. Amen. And how does he have this? Well he didn't have this before. All power and authority is given as Owen calls it the donation of the right to rule his kingdom and the ground his purchase. How valuable and precious is his church. So we're broadly clear on the distinctions here between the kingdom of power, the sovereign kingdom over everything, and the kingdom of grace, the spiritual kingdom over the church, his people. We could argue about the extent, visible, invisible, and probably argue for... uh, the internal rule in the heart, but also as the means of grace are preached to hypocrites, the external means of grace. But maybe we can discuss that later. I may not have the answer. Francis Turretin, he puts it like this, fairly wordy, but it reinforces the contrast. Before all things, we must distinguish the twofold kingdom belonging to Christ, one natural or essential, the other mediatorial or economical. Christ possesses the former over all creatures with glory and majesty equal to that of the Father and Holy Spirit. The latter, according to the economy of grace, he administers in a peculiar manner as theanthropos. This is the key distinction here. Basically, all agree on this. He does it. The question is whether he does it as God or as mediator. That's really the crux of the question. The former extends equally over all creatures, it's an umbrella kingdom. The latter is terminated specially on the church that is founded on the decree of providence, this and the decree of election, that is exercised by Christ inasmuch as he is Theos and Logos, this inasmuch as he is the God-man. Hence it is called his mediatorial and economical kingdom. He's speaking of the church here, the spiritual church, his body, because it is a dominion peculiar to the mediator. And as it were, his own according to the dispensation, the donation of grace. The the other belongs to him by nature and is on that account natural. He concludes the mediatorial uh, belongs to him from the free institution of God because he constituted him over the church. Turton's great on this. Warming, refreshing, preaching, stimulating, lots of food. George Gillespie bumped into the Erastie and Samuel Coleman in, in the Westminster Assembly. They rubbed shoulders. They locked horns repeatedly for some time. Uh, he insisted Uh Fesco tells us in his little book, The Westminster Standards, uh, that just as they were about to close, well, now he doesn't say this, but this is how I read it. Just as they're about to close for the day at about half past four on Friday under A.O.B., Gillespie says three times, it's not as Christ, but as God. Change it. And they bowed to him. Those Scots are strong willed people. He says this of a two fold kingdom of Jesus Christ. This is the title. I haven't read this whole book. I tried. <laughs> it's voluminous, but I did read parts of it. This is the title of one of his sections. What a title! He wasn't into sound bites, I think. Of a twofold kingdom of Jesus Christ. A general kingdom as he is. The eternal son of God. The head of all principalities and powers. Reigning over all creatures. And a particular kingdom as he is mediator. Reigning over the church only. Aaron's rod blossoming. So Samuel Rutherford. Sounds a bit like his henchman. Of course he wasn't. He was a dominating figure himself. Uh, here's the pup speaking of the giants. Christ is not the king's mediator in any sort or title of such as are heathen magistrates. And again, divine government. Why were they so entrenched, these Celts, these Scots? Uh, the Scots are more entrenched than the Welsh as Celts, and the Irish are even worse. So, Brian, you understand my perspective here. Uh, Gillespie asserted three times that Christ should be changed to God, the, the wording of this text. Because, why? Well, he believed he was being biblical. This is what the scriptures teach, he taught. It prevented the Stuart monarchs, whom he feared, and he had seen the carnage and bloodshed and what the sword had done for Christ. He didn't want the kings sticking their nose and their sword into the church, because when you stick your nose or, or sword in, it hurts. It also upheld, according to Rutherford, Rutherford was strong at this point, it upheld the right of pagan kings to rule. If Christ is head over the nation, well, how can a pagan king rule? You're stripping him of his right. No, said Rutherford, because it's the kingdom of power, not the kingdom of grace. And uh, it aimed to sustain the the. Munus, Munus, Latin scholars, Munus triplex, the threefold office of Christ. Not the triple, but the threefold office of Christ. Uh, Gillespie said this, or something like this, I'm paraphrasing. Uh, If Christ is the Redeemer as priest, How can he possibly be king over those who do not benefit from his saving, redeeming cross work? It it can't possibly happen, he said. More on that maybe in our discussion. So, that's the position. The kingdom of power. I can't see that clock. Whoa! Okay, right. (laughs) Uh, Christ the mediator then. Christ the mediator. Uh, We're in the lay-by now. We, We need to pause and get refreshed so that we can move on. What do we mean by office? We might be thinking of the little room that Gary said the speakers can come to pray and Biblically and theologically that's not what we mean. The munis is a concrete whole, Hodge says, a position defined by law. It's a position. which may involve many co-related functions like a judge or a governor or a president. The president just doesn't rule, he gives speeches, he goes to the senate, he does photo shoots and conferences and prayer breakfasts and all kinds of things. But if the president, he has a position defined by law. The officium, the officium, is a functional term. It's not a position, it's a function or duty, the exercise of which is involved in the office. So there's this double sense to the language of office when we're speaking theologically. Here Hodge Goes on and explains the unity of the office, the munis or office of mediator involves all three functions of prophet, priest and king. These are not separate offices like a president, chief justice or senator, but they're rather like the several functions of one living human body. The lungs that breathe, the brain that thinks, the heart that pumps all work together in tandem or triplum. Is that a word? Um, Making it up. Uh, uh, They're functionally distinct. Each does their own thing, yet interdependent. And together they constitute one life. He's saying you have to think of the office as a unitary whole. So he says the functions of prophet, priest and king mutually imply one another. Christ is always a prophetical priest, a priestly prophet, a royal priest, a priestly king. Sounds strangely like a figure whose name begins with an M, to which all are equally essential. In case you didn't get it, Melchizedek. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the unity Then also of the person, office and work of Christ, Christ, person, office and worker, absolutely, Hodge says, inseparable. Don't divide them. Hold them together. One of them cannot be understood as separated from the other two. He assumed humanity and became God and man in one person in order that he might assume his office as mediator, the one mediator, the man, Christ Jesus. His office and work are alike inconceivable, except when viewed in connection with the unparalleled constitution and comprehensive range of his person. And we add the beauty and the excellence and the glory and the worthiness. And in both natures. All these functions, moreover, says Hodge, equally involve the possession and exercise by Christ of the attributes of both his divine and human natures. Wow! Is that how you think of Christ? Men. Think of him like this it's going to be of immense benefit to your own soul as you pray as you read as you teach as you pastor the divine functions as prophet to disclose the secrets of the divine will and counsels the priest to provide a sacrifice of eternal I kind of feel I'm short changing you here saying almost nothing on the... You know, the systematics you've read, you'll know the kingly section. I'm thankful to Gary for this. Right at the back, it's like the size of Jude. But the deuteronomy of the work of Christ is his priesthood. Eternal value, infinite merit. As king, to reign in the hearts... And over the destinies of saints. And while I don't want to do a Billy Graham on you. Does he reign in your hearts? More and more. Is he your prince? Do you say. Where is my beloved? Where does he pasture his flocks? Where is he gone? Show me. Tell me. This isn't to picture Christ. I, last night I had a panic about 2am and I thought, I'm breaking a commandment here. you know. Just, I'm not trying to show Christ. I dare anyone try to show Christ. But, but I'm trying t- to give you just a picture. Huh. I suppose <laughs> the pagan, uh, pagan religions say this. I'm just cr- trying to give you a picture. In your mind, so if this harms you, ban it. I'm just trying to show how the work in the offices and person of Christ hold together. I'm sure there's flaws in this. Please don't tell Williamson, otherwise, he'll put me in his little book on the shorter catechism. Uh, God and man, two distinct natures. Of course, uh, the wonderful uh, conjunction of those natures. And in those two natures, as one mediator, th- that's the big triangle. Or it looks a wee bit like a pyramid there, doesn't it? Uh, one mediator, two natures. And in both natures, as king, prophet and priest. So if you find it helpful, great. If not, Please. Meditate on the munus. John Owen in volume 6 of Hebrews. Page 331 says this. The provision of this mediator of the New Testament. Is the greatest effect. Of the infinite wisdom. Love and grace of God. This is the center of the eternal counsels. In the womb of this one mercy. All others are contained. Herein will he be glorified unto eternity. Meditate on the munus. Even if you can't pronounce Latin, meditate on the munus. Why? Because it will warm the hearts of your hearers as it overflows into their lives, as it has overflowed into your lives. It will breed a deep assurance in all the wonderful aspects of his works it will revive revive your heart and personal communion and enjoyment of your union with Christ it will I suspect have a very sanctifying effect upon your soul and it will clarify what you view of the kingship of Christ I don't know about you but as you looked at uh, Gillespie and Rutherford and Turreton and uh, Burpoff did, did you not kind of think this kingdom of power and kingdom of grace yeah it keeps the church safe but is it really right? Is that the best way of representing all the information of Scripture brought to bear on this question? I have one or two kind of, let's call them queries. One is how this, um, and at, at this point I need a special prayer to keep on Thinking clearly, <laughs> the, the the threefold mediatorial office of Christ. How can we say, you know, yeah, okay, he's uh, he's the King of the nations as God, but. He's not the priest of the nations. How does it fit with his one theanthropic person, the one mediator? Does it not tear the divinity, or, or at least put a little space between the divinity and humanity of Christ? How does it fit in with the idea of the inseparability of both natures as it relates to the threefold office? I think here that Melchizedek, looking through the lens of Melchizedek, is probably the answer. So let's just park those queries. We can discuss them shortly. Two Kingdoms of Christ, the modified position. William Symington, Messiah the Prince, minister of Stranraer, about the mid-1700s. Super read. It'll do your heart good, even if you disagree with some of the details. Uh, How does it compare... Well, he says it's also a spiritual kingdom. But over the whole cosmos, Christ reigns as mediator. He did rule the cosmos once as God by virtue of his divine nature, but now as mediator, he's been given the cosmos as his, as well as the church. He is head over all things, For the church, but his head over all things. The subject, theanthropic, he grounds us or originates us in the divine appointment in eternity to the role of mediator. Uh, We may want to think a little bit about what that means for God the Father. uh one of the catechisms i came across the reformed and Presbyterian catechism uh william roberts of new york 1853 you've got to read this It's about 50 questions on christ the mediator, catechetical questions teach them to your children yeah. wonderful table talk and uh he says you know We're not to think of the father, he doesn't put it like this, uh, I'm paraphrasing, what does it mean for, uh, we're not to think of the father uh, deciding on his own, he's going to appoint his son. How should we think of it? Well he says the trinity It was their conciliar decision that the Father would act as the appointer of the mediator. And that preserves the co-equality of the members of the Trinity in this appointment. We, we can talk about that later. The grounds of redemption, it was his purchase The sphere is cosmic, its rule is total, and again he has this by gift or donation. Robert says this in question 1, 3 to 5 of his catechism. This is not his essential dominion as God, which is original, inherent, and underived, but that with which he has been officially invested as the Messiah by the authoritative act of the Father, which was delegated, conferred by gift, bestowed by the Father, in short, quoting Isaiah 9, 6, on the government which was laid upon his shoulders, that power which was given him in heaven and in earth. The scope? Well, the essential which he had as God, the Son, and mediatorial kingdoms do not differ in matter or extent. For the kingdom over which he as the Son of God rules by inherent and original right. He is as mediator. See the change here. It's the same kingdom. But now, what has he got that's different? Two things. He's got flesh. his Logos and Sarcos. But also... He has this grant of the kingdom as mediator. Authorized to manage and direct for a new end. That's an important phrase in this position. A new end. He puts it to a different goal and purpose. Namely, the salvation of men and the best interests of the church. Our members and pastors may not always have the best interests of the church at heart. But its king always does. What about its provinces? Or maybe for the English folks, the shires. What are the shires? Roberts, uh, following Symington, says, Seven, inanimate creation. Montblanc. Irrational tribes, like the Irish. (laughs) All good angels, like the Irish. Sorry, sorry, no, no, Gabriel. All wicked angels, best left unsaid. All men, all associations of men. Why is Parliament thinking of a refurb without asking the king? I'm, you know, not being serious. Because it's his association. All the associations of man. In all his wide kingdom. And all the shards. The kingdom of providence. Do you have to pay taxes? Now, get that fish and open its mouth and pay. It's kingdom of providence. The movement of Cyrus, Isaiah's king. Moving the nations hither and thither, up and down. All to this great destined consummation and purpose. Gary said not to preach lecture, but I'm a Celt. And my eighth point is big fish and fluffy pets. Jonah's wheel. I bet Jonah was glad. He's the king of it all. Daniel's furry pillows in the lion's den. He's delighted with that. Those gathering swine. There is when they plunge down into the lake, into the abyss. The goal, according to this modified view, a nuanced view, that he should render the whole administration of providence subservient to the creation, progress, and final perfection. Oh, your church may not be great shakes now, but the final perfection, the king's ruling it for that and that. Surely we'll just take a big gabbling gun to all your complaints. Because God is at work through Christ the head as mediator of the church. Mediatorial union. I think we'll pass over that. Symington, this is his spiritual end or Tell us, every system derives its character and designation from that which constitutes itself. But, but but hold on, Symington. He reigns spiritually in my heart. Well, yes, says Symington, I agree with, with you, brother. But, but, but hold on. There's more to this spiritual dimension than you're thinking of here. Every system derives its character and designation from that which constitutes its ultimate end or aim. And not from any inferior or subordinate appendages. Lots of those in this kingdom, of course. But don't think because there are appendages that it means the kingdom's not spiritual because Christ rules it all for this end. We call it, he says, a spiritual kingdom inasmuch as the great design of its existence is spiritual. And if there's stuff that isn't spiritual or doesn't appear to be so, it's being ruled for this end. So that's a key thought, the spiritual goal and end. Matthew 28. All authority. This is... One time, I think, when Paz Pazapan is all. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. Note the donation. You see the Greek? there. Sorry, I'll have to. Pointer. I was given this pointer. Is there a light there? Is there? No? Where is it? At my eyes it's not great man. Aha. ha. It's not active. <coughs> the theta is a clue. Not metal. It's passive. Is given. Erist passive. Given by whom? Well, the Father. It's a donation to the God man given to me as mediator it was by gift it wasn't his by right until the purchase of redemption and now it's given this is where I start preaching you thought I was preaching (laughs) is this not our mandate on ground for raising our voice in the public square, preaching in the open air, and landing boats in distant church. Symington's got this wonderfully colourful, purple, verbose passage on, we'll take it to every land and shore and island and continent, and you, you know, it's just wonderful. Read it. Uh, and even if you don't believe this mediatorial kingdom stuff, It'll make you want to preach the gospel courageously. The church has lost its courage in this. It's bottled it in our day. In many places, oh, well, we used to do that, but not nowadays. We want more refined. I should probably do that in a, an Irish accent or maybe French. John 17 2 When Jesus had spoken these words he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said Father the hour has come glorify your son that the son may glorify you for what purpose? Since you have given him educhus authority over all flesh. Sounds pretty Christ mediator dominion kind of stuff to me over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. You see the distinction there? One's all, and then there's all his own. I'll not bore you with this. Uh, If you want these slides, I'm happy if you give your email to Gary, I can send them to you. So you can say, Oh, this was the worst talk. Let me give you an example of untruth. <laughs> when you come with this Melchizedekian lens in this eye and the medial auditory, the medial the mediatorial dominion of Christ lens in the others and you go to Specs, Sabres, and they give you a nice pair of frames. And you begin to look in the scriptures. A, a text you kind of thought, mm, what's that about? Don't quite get that. There's a Spartacus effect. You know, They, I'm Spartacus. No, no, I'm Spartacus. Are you the Mediatorial Dominion text? No, no, I'm the Mediatorial No, no. You're surrounded by Mediatorial Dominion texts. Hope that's not an uh, eisegesis, <laughs> <laughs> but exegesis. What love and care I took with these colours and boxes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, j- just to say, once you start looking and thinking. Theologically, in this way, through the mediatorial grid, you, you, you begin to see it everywhere. These are Symingdon's proofs there. The titles, the prefigurations type, self-claims of Christ, what other people, including angels, said about him, the prophecies of Christ. We're just going to look at a few texts. How are we, for time, we're, we're pressing on here. I'm looking carefully at Robert. Ah, okay. I'm the chairman. Okay. Now you're all going to say, I'm the chairman, I'm the (laughs) chairman. The Spartacus effect. (laughs) Psalm 2, why do the nations rage? Sorry. And the people's plot in vain. What do we learn briefly from Psalm 2? There's a Hebrew, if I need it. Uh, who is in view here? Well, the New Testament makes abundantly clear, I think. Uh, flavin can help me here. Uh, it's the anointed Christ. The rage against Yahweh and his Mishikho, his anointed. The Greek says Christos, is Christ. Who has, of course, the Bob Rogers thing, Three, two, one. 3 offices, threefold, two natures, one person. That's who this psalm is about. And if you say, oh, hold on, this is David, this is typology, fine, because there's escalation. It's even more true of Jesus Christ the anti type and fulfilment. So I'm happy if you're a it's a type of Christ line. Even better in fact. Who is raging? It's not the redeemed, is it? It's not the reformed. They have their rants as well. It's the rebels. Because they have some kind of relationship at very least, with the anointed of God, the Christ. Interesting. They're rebels against his kingdom. In what capacity are these fist-shaking rebels acting? What are they called to at the end of the psalm? Kiss the sun. What does that mean? Therefore, kings, be wise. Be warned, ye rulers of the earth. Kiss the sun. Bar, the international court diplomatic language of the day, Aramaic. Kiss the bar. Not the Ben, the bar. I don't mean public house. Kiss the sun. Over all the nations. Well it's not about private conversion. But about. Public covenant. Vassalship. Of the UN council. Who rage against Christ. I'm not saying what the current one does. May do. What do they need to learn and be told. Well part of Possession. is the heritage, the New Testament tells us, of the crucified, risen Christ. Ask of me and I will give thee nations as your heritage. The ends of the earth. David, at least, not personally, didn't ask that, did he? The shoes are too big for the feet of David. These are, in fact, my feet are reasonably big. Side 11, David's probably smaller, but these are enormous. Head. Only one can fill these shoes. Solomon didn't even. Call us submit and obey the heir. Sounds a wee bit like uh, Colossians, if of time. W- what does the homage entail? Obey the son as the Christ, the anointed king. The governor in Psalm 22. And lawmaker? Unless, this is the first example ever, of a king with no laws. Ephesians. What do we learn from Ephesians? Nine reasons. Uh, Haven't i well, we'll move on because we're pushed here for time. Psalm it too. I'm still thinking of Ephesians. I haven't <coughs> lost the flow here. Tanah, the imperative, chodekah, set your honoured glory al chashamayim, the Hebrew, uh, not the Greek. Set uh, the red bits your glory above the heavens, which is translated with the unusual preposition huperano, the second word along from the end there. Hyper over the heavens. Samet, hyper over the heavens. As Calvin says, yes, it does include the visible things which prove it, the flocks, the herds, the beasts of the fields, but also everything because it's huperanum. He doesn't use that word. Interesting. Ephesians one, twenty. Quoting Psalm 8 also, all things under his feet. Having raised him from the dead and having Seated on his right hand in the heavenlies, who anno, above all rule and authority and power and lordship. My point here is, who is that? Is it God? Who's Samiut's kingship? It's the opposite. It's man. It's Christ as man. Who's exalted? It's the mediator, of course. So, here's a quiz. You, you can text me, you can text me the answer here. Uh, you, you, your text will cost one pound. Uh, <laughs> which will, will be donated to LS. <laughs> uh, answer A, don't have a clue. Answer B, as God. That's a, the traditional position. Answer C, as God-man. Answer D, as mediator. Which is it? From what you've heard this afternoon, yeah? Is it, a trick question? it is. So what's the answer? D. Correct. Thank you. Colossians. Wow. Honestly, once you look through this lens, it opens up. Who is the icon of God, the image of God? That's the last Adam, isn't it? The the image of God now in flesh, who reveals the Father, who reveals his grace, the firstborn not the first in sequence to rise from the dead later on in the passage, but the first in rank and position, the inheritor of everything, the heir. He gets it all. All creation. Pazes tisios. Tisios, yeah. Because, by right, he created it. See, He created it, three, the little box there, and he sustains it. He's not only linked to it as God, as Logos, as creator, as sustainer and upholder. There's this organic living connection with the cosmos. But then, what has he done? God so loved this football covered in... Axel Grease type earth. This world that he gave his only son. To seek and save that which was lost. Isn't that amazing? So we've just whizzed through uh, Colossians here. Last Adamic status. Threefold office implied. It's all Christ, 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 Christ. The anointed one, the heir, his agency in creation gives him crown rights, his mediatorial sustenance, and his pacification, it reconciled to himself all things. Everything's calm. Interestingly, one, two, three, four, fourth point mediatorial fullness. In him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. It's a theanthropos. The Melchizedekian dominion of Psalm 110 is alluded to as the motive for heavenly mindedness. What does it say? Since Christ is seated at God's right hand. Psalm 110. Melchizedek. Therefore, you remember the therefore. Set your heart on Him seated at God's right hand. Really important. So, how does Christ r- relate to cosmos in lots of ways? Revelation, quick. Uh, look through the lens to the Lamb. The slain lamb reverently I say brothers before the Lord to help us think about this. The lamb with its throat cut also has a t-shirt. On the back is written Copcor King of Peace, King of Righteousness and on the front not a big S but an M Melchizedek. This is the priest-king who rules on the throne in Revelation. Re- Revelation 4 and 5, according to one good friend, what's it about? It's the great commission of Matthew 20 18 in striped pyjamas, where the king rules all things sovereignly on the throne, which is sat down on with his father, Through judgment and wrath to salvation and bliss. So Victory of a Lamb is a little bit tame as a title for a commentary on Revelation. Hope you haven't read one of that title. I like the one I read actually. But it's a little bit tame. It's more depth than meat. A couple of royal texts, Isaiah, hmm. <laughs> Uh, nursing mothers, and as a, it's going to be like this when the gospel comes, nursing mothers. I don't know if you have. This is a, quite a private comment, but let me just briefly share. Uh, m- my wife is a doctor, brilliant doctor, brilliant mind. She would say herself, "I'm I'm not a little baby girl. That's not my forte. It's not not my thing." To see the love and the care and the devotion when she nursed our children. It's intimate. It's not just, oh, well, they'll kind of let you do your own thing. It's care, nourishment, sustenance. You shall suck the milk of nations, nurse at the breasts of kings, doesn't sound great but good for the church what's the answer Christ rules the church and state by his sovereign spirit as exalted mediatorial king he's mediator in two senses with one kingdom two provinces church and creation and seven shires or maybe eight one uh, over every inch of the cosmos in Cyprian fashion, we should leave this room and shout, "It is His." Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. He's sovereignly still the waves. A sovereign act of power. Who is this man? Interesting. Thomas. As Christ presents the wounds of his human flesh, my Lord and my God. Interesting. Duration. How long, O Lord? When did it start? Lots of mediatoric phases. It began way back in eternity. And it stretches through the care of the church in the Old Testament, from the promise to Adam, right through to his birth and incarnation, his anointed to public office, the evidences in his ministry. The people marveled that God had given such authority to man. Interesting the declaration at his resurrection Romans 1 the resurrection is a big turning point isn't it in this his inauguration at his ascension his installation at session and exaltation. if Trump gets in he'll be president but there'll be a gap of few months until there's the official ceremony and so it is here the teleological consummation Okay, the lamb for the foundation of the world. Okay, Crazy diagram. <laughs> <laughs> you think it's all over. <laughs> <laughs> then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. Does that mean it's th- th- the end? That's it. It could... B that the church just hits the buffers in that sense as regards the mediator dominion. That's kind of Calvin view though I think if Calvin were here today, he would be with me in this. <laughs> Flavian. <laughs> uh, is that text only speaking of the kingdom of power which ends? On the traditional view? Well, maybe. Uh, is it that there's this kind of unspecified mutation of the kingdom of grace. Into the kingdom of, of glory. Uh, or does Christ present intact the church body and head. There will be no guillotine in glory. So he remains as mediator. Bavink, Dabney and Turreton. Uh It's hard to get rid of this. He will reign forever and ever, language. And the Lamb forever and ever, language. And what the Lamb does forever and ever for us. Teaching us, illuminating us, sustaining us. Uh, It would be a bad job if you got to your honeymoon night. And that was it. Looking through the lens. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine in it for the glory of God. Gives it light and its Lamb is its light is the Lamb. So as we look through the lens of Melchizedek of the Lamb with the M on the t-shirt we see God. And as the light of glory reflects from God through the lens of Melchizedek they, like the diamond light facets were illuminated with God's glory forever and Ever. The mediate the mediatorship of reconciliation ends. That is done, his work complete. But the mediatorship of union to his Bavink is consummated and continuous. Bavink will draw this to a close. Very shortly. What remains is the mediatorship of union. Christ remains prophet, priest and king. As this triple office is automatically given. Flavian made this point. With his human nature. Is God and man. One person. Two natures. Forever. So he can't shed this PPK. Prophet, priest and king. Christ is not remains the head of the church from whom all life and blessedness flow to it through all eternity. eternity. As to prophecy, he will illuminate the saints forever as a priesthood by a perpetual representation of his sacrifice. As to his kingdom, he will reign in the church as our head and surety. There be no divorce. Happily ever after in married life with our husband. Dabney the restoration of the church to the father as an accomplished enterprise is to be received not as implying a severance of Christ's headship that's the guillotine bit but as a surrendering of himself along with it body and head as an aggregate so Christ embraces his bride his body and body and head he presents the kingdom to the father. But body and head are together for ever. Crown him with many crowns. Lamb upon the throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Awake my soul and sing of him who died for thee. Hear. 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 Christ. For all eternity. But we can talk about the applications. Okay.